Isaiah 61, and this is a, it's a cool, uh, well, this is the scripture, remember, that Jesus actually read in the temple. He read this part, and he said, hey, hey, guys, uh, I just read this scripture about prophets and who they're talking about, and yeah, that's me. All that, that you're reading here, this is what I'm bringing right now. It's available to you if you want it. Repent from your sins, turn to me, and you're, you'll be saved. But there's a little place in here that I wanted to talk to you about. And it's, it's kind of, I'll read, I'll read this on verse 3, but I'm going to start at verse 1 because I just love the scripture. So the Spirit, so this is really spoken hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And it was spoken about him and prophesied about him. And then he gets up in the temple and he says, he speaks this and says this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to those that are captive, <laughs> that's good stuff right there, and opening the prison doors to those who are bound. Now, we could spend a whole month on that stuff, but I want to keep reading. So verse 2 says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, verse 3, to give them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning. Listen to this, and this is what I want to I talk about. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We'll go back to that. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And it goes talk about rebuilding ruins and strength. So in verse 3, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God wants to swap out with you the heaviness that comes from living in this life. Remember Jesus said, take on my burdens are light. I will help you carry. Give me your burdens, he says. And, my burden, and he's going to help us carry those. This garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness or that, that um, it's more than just, it's not a spirit necessarily more than that feeling of heaviness or oppression that we get in our lives. And, and I know that worship fights against that heaviness. So not just in church, but when you're feeling heavy or when you're feeling beat down or faint, really another scripture, another translation says, faint at heart, you're kind of feeling, man, I don't know if I can keep doing this. That's when you turn on the garment of praise. And, and just like a garment, I'm going to use this, you got to put it on. It just, uh, the garment doesn't know when you're feeling down or struggling or feeling faint at heart or want to give up or want to quit or want to give in to other things. The garment just doesn't go, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> right? You got to pick up, you got to choose, you got to make a choice in your will to go get praise and go, I'm praising God, I don't care how I feel, I don't care what's going on, I'm going to put on the garment of praise. I'm going to worship him whether I feel like it or not, whether my flesh feels like it or not, no matter how my day is going, no matter what happened this last week, no matter what I'm looking forward to this week, I'm going to put on the garment of praise. I'm going to make a choice to do that. Why? Because there's power. There's freedom. It gets our focus off of ourselves and onto the mighty Savior. And so then we, our perspective starts to change. Amen? So this week, not only in corporate, we're talking about corporate worship a lot. That's what we're kind of focusing on. But you can put on your garment every morning. 
in the car, at the office. And it's not just about always singing a song. You know, part of praise is proclaiming the good works of God. It's speaking back his scripture to him. That's a form of worship. You don't, it doesn't, it, there's singing involved too, but it can be God. Your word says that I can do everything through you. And I need you right now. I'm, I'm, I'm proclaiming to you what your word says. That's an act of worship. Get your eyes focused on the right things. You with me? Yes. Oh, sorry, babe. I'm so curious. <laughs> I just, Holy Spirit brought that to mind. I wanted to share that with you because it is through praise. Remember last week we talked about praise being our spiritual strength, right? Laying a foundation for strength through the praise. What kind of praise was that that Jesus was talking about? Uh, remember in, in Matthew when he um, misquoted Psalms 8? Remember what we talked about? And what was he talking about in that scripture? Who, was, who were doing the praises that Jesus was talking about? Anyone remember? Remember he spoke to the fig tree, right? Went in the temple, cleared out the temple. He healed the blind and lame. And then the Pharisees said, hey, do you hear what they're saying? And he said, oh, haven't you ever read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, new believers, freshly converted people, that I shall lay a foundation for strength and praise? And remember, it was those young believers that had just got healed. They just got touched by the master. And so they had, they, their sickness was free, and they came into a relationship with Jesus, and they were excited, and they were yelling at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, the son of David. Hosanna, the son of David. And it was that newborn, fresh praise coming out of darkness into light that Jesus said, right there is the, is the key. That's where strength is laid, is in that praise that you get when you first realize what God has done for you, right? So there's a strength in praise. And so today, let's review real quick in your notes. I have a five little points you want to just go through real quick so we're all on the same page because this is a, a kind of a building um, uh, series on worship. And we're going to get into the actual Hebrew words next week and start going through different forms or um, expressions of praise, how our bodies can express praise to God and what they do and what they mean. And that's going to be fun, so I'm excited for that. But the first thing we want to look at there for review is worship is, number one, a spiritual weapon. It is a weapon. It is part of warfare. Worship and warfare are kind of simultaneously you know, existing together in the fact that when we get before God, we worship him with our hearts, we are actually fighting against the enemy's kingdom. I don't know if you, I don't know if you sensed the, the Holy Spirit in here, but the Holy Spirit was here, and he, he was, and he was getting available to everyone as your hearts became open to him. He was getting more and more into your heart and mind. If you didn't sense that, um, you're going to learn today of how to even do that more. So if you don't feel that and that's foreign, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want to show you and teach you what God's word talks about where, where worship become a weapon. And I tell you what, there is nothing better than being in the midst of a trial and start to praise God. There is enormous power. I just thought of Paul and Silas, right? In prison, just got the snot beat out of them. And they start singing hymns in the middle of the night. Oh, and deliverance came. It's a warfare and God will, he responds to this. The father responds to hearts that are worshiping him no matter what the circumstances are. So worship is a spiritual weapon. Number two, worship is about drawing near to God. Remember we talked about the word worship and how it meant the, the, the roots uh, gave us a picture of a dog 
licking the master's hand, and how it was worship was a sense of adoration directed towards, because the word was made up of being near and kissing. So there's a nearness and a closeness that's a drawing to God in worship, that we come close to him, and we talked about how that's been God's desire from day one, right? From the Garden of Eden until now, his desire is to be with us. John 17, 3, this is eternal life. You know it, it's one of my favorite verses, probably said it 50 times here. This is eternal life, that they may know the Father. And know is ganasco, the Greek word, and it's the same word used for when Adam knew his wife or Mary. You know, it's, it's an intimate, intimate knowing. So drawing near to God, worship is drawing near. Number three, worship, we talked about a little bit in the beginning there. Worship is your foundation of spiritual strength. Worship is about laying a foundation of spiritual strength. And a worshipful life, not only in corporate settings like this where we worship together, but in your personal settings, being worshiping God and how you treat your neighbor, how you work at work, and how you treat your wife and family and all that stuff, that we can all worship through that by living for God. But worshiping God, expressing our gratitude through our bodies, Romans 12, 1, become a living sacrifice of praise, right? We're becoming a living sacrifice. Giving God can be a foundation of strength and will be a strength in your life. Trust me, when it gets tough, start worshiping. When things get down on, on yourself and you're feeling low, start worshiping God. Start proclaiming to him. Start singing. Put a CD. Get in your room alone and start worshiping God. Start praising him. Start telling him what you think about him. It will always lead to good things every time. Okay, so that was number three. Number four we talked about, which is real important at the last there, was worship is a refining process. Remember we talked about raising the dross, and it was, I'm, I'm glad we talked about that last week because this week, Pastor Chris and the team did a great job of leading us in worship and, and, and giving us that uh, uh, place and culture to allow the Holy Ghost to come in. And if you felt the Spirit of God, I did strongly, I could feel the good heat of the Holy Spirit. And that heat talks about in the Gospel of John a lot about what the Holy Spirit will do. He'll lead you into all truth. He'll tell you things to come. He's your guide, your counselor. He's going to be beside you, and he's going to show you things to come and help you get rid of stuff that's not yours. Remember, we looked at the windshield, and the windshield was clear, and then all of a sudden the sun hit it, and then all the, you could see all the dirt on the windshield. So when we get in the light, when we get in that heat, it raises the dross to the top, and then whose job is it to remove the dross? Ooh, okay, maybe I wasn't clear enough. Whose job is to remove the dross? Thank you. Ours. God raises stuff up and says, hey, this needs to change. And then it's our job to go, you're right, Lord. I confess that. I renounce that in my life. I don't want to think that way. I repent. Repenting is turning and thinking differently about something that you once thought a certain way. You were once going this way, thinking in this way, and when you repent, you do a 180, and you think the complete opposite way about it, and that's back to God's way about whatever subject you want to discuss. So it's a repenting, it's a raising, the, the worship setting raises the dross, the Holy Spirit comes in, brings conviction, which is good, you want conviction, Condemnation is the enemy. That'll bring, that'll, where you feel, oh my gosh, I'm no good, I'm a loser. That's, that's condemnation. But conviction is good. Man, if the Holy Spirit's working on your heart saying, hey, you don't want to do this. This isn't you anymore. 
No, you're saved. You're a new person. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be in bondage to that sin anymore. No, come on. Let's get in the Word. Come on, let's talk. The Holy Spirit's encouraging you to come back. No, don't do that anymore. This is better for you. You're a king's kid. You belong to God. You're a princess of God. You're a prince of God. You belong. You're of a new line. You're of a kingly. Remember we talked about being priests? We're of a priesthood, a royal priesthood, guys. We've changed. We're different people. We have a new DNA, guys. God said, the old is gone. You are a new creature in Christ. So the Holy Spirit will come and say, start acting like that. You know, he'll say, no, that's not you anymore. Quit doing that. You don't have to do that. That doesn't have rule over you anymore. So refining. Worship is a refining process. And that's why we allow time on Sundays to worship God and allow his fire to get in our hearts and to purge out all impurities. Sometimes you think it's, oh, I'm pretty good. And then you get in the fire and you go, oh, there's some stuff in my heart I didn't realize was there. And that's what worship settings are for is to bring that up. Not the only place it'll be brought up, but it is a great place where God will bring his spirit in and that spirit shows us the light and, gives it, and leads us and guides us. And then last one, number five, worship, is simply we decided that it was a response to God's goodness, his greatness. It was just worship was a response to what God is and does and who he is. And it's a response to his goodness. And I want, I put a special note here that as we learn about corporate worship, guys, together, and we understand that we are focusing in on worship as we come together as believers that we are at the river setting a culture for our church, okay? Now, the past was great. I love Pastor Rob, Pastor Ray, everyone everyone that was here and not here now, doesn't matter, all good stuff. But now we here we are, February 18th, 2018, and we have choices to make. What is our church going to be like? What, are, what do we want the culture to be here? Well, as, as a, a pastor here, I'm saying we make this place a culture of worship, a place where people come and feel free to engage the Holy Spirit, to worship with other believers, and allow the Spirit of God to come in and do His work amongst us. If you study the New Testament, whenever they gathered together and got together, it was always about the edification of the body. It was always about encouraging one another. It was always about building people up. It was never about the programs or the, the person speaking or delivering the message or the whatever. It wasn't about all that stuff. And none of that's bad, but it's not the point. The point has always been in the New Testament, if you look at it closely, about building one another up and encouraging one another, and sometimes exhorting one another, and sometimes spurring one another on to good works. The Bible talks about spurring, which is actually kicking the horse with your spur. That's not a comfortable place to be for the horse, right? You get a kick right in the tender side of your thing with the metal thing and see how uncomfortable that. It's not fun. But in church, the body, sometimes that's not fun, but it's needed, right? It's needed to spur you on. And so as a as a pastor or slash coach, which I like to refer to me instead of a pastor as a coach, because I like to help you get to where I know that you can be. And sometimes I, I have to be a tough coach. Sometimes I have to be a loving coach. So are you with me? So church, as we create this culture, guys, this is our decision together that we've got to come together in agreement and say, you know what? I'm going to do all I can in my, in my part of the body, because every one of you is a part of the body. 
None of us can make it without each other. The Bible's clear on that. And so you've got to make a decision that when you come on Sundays or whenever we gather together, whether it's in a small group, at a house, wherever, that we're going to make worship and the honor and the praise of God one of our premier things we do, right? That's going to be in our DNA. That's going to be people are going to go and they're going to start coming to the rivers because they know they can have a place to come and worship God with freedom, they can worship God, and the allowance of the Holy Spirit to do what he wants will be there and be part of the DNA of that church. So that's what we decide together, and we do that every week as we come ready to give to God his glory due to him with our hearts prepared and ready to come and offer him something, okay? Don't just show up, oh, I'm at church now, oh, yeah, prepare. I'm, just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean I'm the only one that has to prepare, I want people preparing with me. <laughs> Not because I'm a little baby, and I am sometimes. But I want you guys to come prepared because when each part of the body comes together ready and prepared, the body's strong. The body can defeat its enemies. The body can be more effective in reaching people and loving on people when the body comes ready on Sundays and we're being built up. It's almost to where corporate worship becomes a recharging station for the body. It's almost like we come here and our gas is low and we all got to plug into the Holy Spirit together. We can do that at home and all that. That's total. Yes, for sure. But there's something unique about being in unity, coming together, plugging in as a body, a complete body, because without being together, we can't be individuals. That's not the church. The church is all of us. And if we're not, there's no mavericks. There's no, there's no people that can just do it on their own. And people, people are getting away from that, where they want to do church on their own. Oh, well, wait, we're just going to do our home Bible study and that. We don't need the church. Well, yeah, you don't need the, the technical building and all that, but you need the body of Christ. And the more, the merrier. The, uh, sorry, I just um, the Holy Spirit's bringing me a story. When uh, the children of Israel were traveling through the wilderness, the, the Amalekites, which represent the enemy, would attack, the Bible says, the hindmost of them as they walked through. And so the group would be together, but then the slow and the feeble and the people that couldn't keep up with the whole group would get behind, and the Amalekites would come in the back and attack those who were not in the body because they were vulnerable, and they were, they were subtle to that attack. So they would do that, and the picture today for us is that when you choose rebel in your heart and say, I don't need the church, I'm going to do God, blah, 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 then you start saying, okay, I'm going to be at the back, and I'm not going to be a part of the body because they, they're, they, they're, all, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, well, yeah. The church, we're all, we're all messed up. We're all in process. No one's getting there. No one's got there yet. So we're all in process, but we're, we're doing it not because it's what we want to do. We're doing church the way God said to do it because his word says to do it. And so when we choose to step out of the rebel and say, I'm going to do it my own way, we, set, we put ourselves out and then we're open and more vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. And you'll see that. You'll see that. You probably know people in your life that have done that where I'm telling you, not a safe place to be. So, special note, we are creating culture here, guys. And I'm going to do everything I can in my heart and in, as, as your pastor to create a, a culture of free worship. Now, in that, I am saying, I'm not saying that, oh, everybody comes in. They've always got to just jump up and down and scream their heads off. No. But I'm saying we're going to have a culture that says, you can worship God freedom. 
If you need to worship God sitting down and not saying a word, although I don't think that is very biblical and expressions to God, as we'll see, you can do that. And you have the complete freedom. No one's going to get mad at you. No one's going to go, hey, why don't, you, why don't your hands raise? Gary, get your hands up. You're not a Christian until you get your hands up. No one's going to say that, but we're going to keep encouraging Gary to get with it and to experience what God's word says, not because you got to be like us. No, you got to be like God's word. <laughs> That's what we're transforming to, right? Is what God says to do. And he says, lift your hands, holy hands to the Lord. He talks about clapping. He talks about shouting to the Lord. So, but there's going to be freedom. And there's going to be a place where in our church, new people come in and they're not going to be used to a Pentecostal church. Okay. This is a Pentecostal church. Okay. It is. So that means that we, if you look at Amy Simple McPherson, the lady that founded the church, she was Pentecostal. I ain't even close to how she was Pentecostal. I want to be. She was awesome. But the church was founded on the principle of the Holy Spirit having his way in service. And so sometimes we're going to have, the Holy Spirit's going to move and we're, you might not be comfortable because of the way you were raised or what you think church should be or what you define holiness as. But we will always do stuff that is biblically based and backed. That's what we're going to, that's our guide. Okay. And so that's, that's how we're going to develop that. So it's up to you and me to do that together. But if you don't want that type of church that's free in worship, lifting hands, celebrating God, and, even, and there may be extended times. It may be some Sundays. I can't guarantee I am not going to be a pastor of a church that says, our church is going to be 22 minutes of worship, and then we go into the sermon, and then we're done at 1222. That's not going to be me. So if you don't want that, it might be a good time to pray and see if the Holy Spirit might move you on. And, and I'm not trying to be mean, but I, I love you, and I want you to be where God wants you, but I'm just telling you what's coming. Because I'm going to do everything. I am so fired up. I want God to have his way in this place. I feel like we're on the, the precipice of a great revival. I, I feel like we're on the edge of seeing um, people coming in by the, by the dozens and getting saved. And I think right now God's holding back that influx until we get a core people here that love God and are ready to minister to other people. God's not going to send us a bunch of new people if we can't even handle that. So he's preparing us. And my prayer has been, God, send me people like this lady right here. She's like, don't talk about me. Send me people like this lady right here who's a minister, who loves Jesus, who's mature, who knows God. God, send me more people that are mature in the faith and are ready to take on and work hard. You guys, a new couple, I'm telling you, God, you're an answer to prayer. And God's sending us people because he knows what's coming. Guys, I'm telling you, people are going to start coming to the church and getting saved and filled and set free. Right, Brad? You think people are going to get set free here? Because God's powerful, isn't he? He's good, isn't he? And I love the demeanor of your face today. You could just, Jesus all over that boy. Whew. All right. Well, I guess I better get to page two. All right, we got, a, we got a long day, so let's get going. So I want to talk today, I labeled today, as you can see on there, approaching the throne. So as we get into worship, we've talked about a lot of things, but we want to, I want to take a look today about approaching the throne and how it was approached in the Old Testament and how we approached the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. And so let's look at that. So I have a couple of verses I want to throw at you to talk about 
and this is New Testament though, about the confidence that we have towards approaching God today in everyday life and in worship. So Ephesians uh, 3.11 says this, this was according to the eternal purposes that was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Check this line out. Uh, this, you should memorize this one. In whom we have boldness with access, with confidence through faith in him. That's what you have right now is yours when you approach God. Anytime, coming to him with a prayer in your car, getting up in the morning saying, good morning, Holy Spirit, at church together as a corporate worship, we all have this promise or this access. We have boldness, meaning you can go in and not be, have any fear, not afraid, oh, I messed up, God's going to be mad at me, none of that. We have access, which means we can go into the throne room at any time. Remember, in, in the days of kings, you couldn't just go into the throne room, right? You know, right? If you ran into the throne room, you could get, you'd be killed. You couldn't just approach the throne whenever you felt. But because of what Jesus did, now we can. And then we have confidence knowing that when we go to the Lord through faith, that he's going to answer us according to his word and according to our faith. So we have a lot of great promises. So think of this when you think about approaching God and approaching him in worship. Man, this is a good stuff. So Hebrews 4.16 says this, let us draw with confidence, let's draw near to the throne of grace. God wants us to draw near to him with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. So one of the purposes of drawing near corporately is so that we draw near to find grace to get with him so that we can, he can refuel us, recharge us, give us gifts, and help us go out and do our work. Amen? And if you think about it, I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is a fun thought, that um, the temple, we'll get to it a little later, the temple was on a mount, and they would go up to the temple to worship, okay? Just remember that. And David would do psalms of ascent, and they would sing and worship and start doing stuff as they went up to his presence, okay? As they would ascend up to God, they would be preparing themselves, singing psalms of ascent to get their hearts ready to be in the throne room, okay? And so that's the kind of approach that we need when we're going towards God. We got to be ready. We got to be getting ready for his presence. That's why I said, come ready. Get, it, get up on Sunday mornings. Get your phone on. Read a scripture. Go in the Psalms. Just read one Psalms. God, you're so faithful. Start thanking him. Pray in tongues. I do that. I get up. I'm in the shower. I'm, I'm praying in tongues. The Bible says when I pray in tongues, I don't know what's going on, but my spirit's praying. Worship God. Get your heart ready. Repent. God, what do you want to do today? What do you want from me today, God? Huh? You got any assignments for me today? I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's encourage the body. Amen? All right. So, but before we look at the approach of the Old Testament with the tabernacle of, of Moses and then David, I want to look real quickly at, um, at what we are approaching. Because I think what we are approaching, we have to know what that looks like in order to look at the process of coming towards it. And a lot of us have ideas of what worship is based on our history. I grew up in a church that was very uh, non-musical. There was a piano and an organ, and we, we sang hymns. We did not ever shout. We rarely, I don't I remember clapping, and we sang hymns, that's it. And there was, there was no... 
people didn't get on the floor and, and bow, and they didn't just, they, you, and I never knew what the presence of God was. So my thinking, if I went based on tradition, would be based on what I experienced. So I would think, oh, that's worship. Maybe you grew up Catholic, and like my wife grew up Catholic. So her thinking about what worship was is very, in Catholicism and orderly and different things you do and you didn't, you, you didn't understand some of the language and all that stuff. So a lot of processes there. So we've all been in different places, but to come together, we got to go, okay, well, what are the blueprints for wor- this worship thing? What's going on? What do we look at as our standard so that we can all go, okay, no matter how we grew up, no matter what we think is holy or what we think is not holy, what is it? What, what does God's throne room look like right now? So turn with me to John 12, and I want to take a look at this. John 12, 37 through 43. I'll just read it to you. There's, I have quite a bit of scripture in today, so we better get going. But although he had done so many signs before them, Jesus said, they did not believe him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I would heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw God's glory and spoke of him. So Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw into heaven. Verse 42, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in Jesus. Listen to this. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of man more than the praise of God. You know, we need to care about what God thinks. What he, and I I tell you right now, this comes against the spirit of the fear of man, and the spirit of the fear of man will speak to you and say, don't lift your hands, that'll be stupid. People will think, think of you this way. And I, and I believe everyone in this room fights that at different times and different stages. We all fight wanting to be accepted by others, wanting to be approved by others. But Jesus was telling us here, look, you've got to, all, all you've got to care about is what God's saying, what he praises you about. What he's, we've got to go to the pattern, okay, God, what do you think worship is? What should we do in worship? Are you with me? So, so there's a, there was a pastor, his name was Pastor Cornwall, and he, um, he was building a church, this is back, you know, probably 30, 40 years ago, and, and, you know, to cut costs in the church, Pastor Cornwall thought, well, let's just, let's just have the guys of the church, and we'll just build this church, it'll save us some money. So they, they built this big, long hall, and they were getting all the walls up, and they're getting ready to do the rafters. And so they're getting ready to build the rafters, and, you know, they're pretty long and stuff, so they kind of got building them outside, and go, okay, we've got to build like man, 50 or 100 of these things across the whole thing, so let's get going. So they get out. And they were huge and hard to move. So they built the first one, got it measured out all perfect. And they're, okay, cool, we're ready. So they, they cut that there. And then they thought, well, instead of um, doing this like we did, let's take the first one as, and let that be our standard. And let's measure from there and, and just make them. And we'll make 100 of them that way. So we don't have to keep moving the first one over. So what they did is they started measuring them off. And they got all done. And they started putting them up. And the first few went on good, and then about 10 in, they started getting a little shorter. 
What happened? We measured off the previous one, not the original. And they kept measuring off the, the next one, and the next one measured off the next one, and so on. And what they found happened is that if you have a pencil about a sixteenth of an inch wide, and every time they marked the line off the previous example, it would be shortened a sixteenth of an inch. And so after 100 rafters, they were over six feet off. Because they didn't go to the original, they kept going off the original, the original, you know, the, make, the, the, the copy of the copy of the copy of the copy of the copy, and thus they were way off. What do we learn from that? In Christian, Christianity, a lot of us go and believe things based off of what their, their pastor says or the church they grow up in and grew up in, and they, th- they think that's the way Christians believe. You know, and then you think, well, the Jews did the same thing. God gave them all these laws, and then what did the rabbis do? They kept adding laws. They kept making more rules, and pretty soon they had so many rules for stuff, you, you couldn't even keep it. I was crazy, because it, rabbi, rabbi, rabbi so-and-so told Rabbi so-and-so to tell Rabbi so-and-so, Rabbi so-and-so, and then down uh, generations, they were doing stuff that God had never intended in the beginning. And some, we can do that, and churches today are, are established by that and are operating off that because that's what we've always done. Our church was founded here, and that's it. No, that's not it. God's Word's it. This is the standard, guys. This is what we believe and we go off of is His Word. And we rightly divide this and correctly divide it so we know what the pattern is. And so the same is with worship. If we don't get a good look at worship and what originally was intended for that and what it looked like, then we're going to be off when we get down the road, right? So I want you to look, and we visited this last week a little bit, but I want to look at, because uh, this was Isaiah that we just quoted in the New Testament. And Isaiah, when he did look into heaven in Isaiah chapter 6, it says this. Isaiah 6, 1, in the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord on the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one cried to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken, and the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So this is our first, uh, first picture that we're going to look at of what heaven actually, what was happening in heaven right then. Isaiah chapter 6, he was in the spirit, was in heaven, and he saw the throne. He saw heaven where God dwells, where he's at, and this is what he saw. And we see that, that first of all, that the angels were crying out one to another, which we, which we uh, talked about last, night, last week, which was ranan, which is a Hebrew word to, to make a, a war cry or to cry out really loud. And this was called antiphonal praise, where they, one would cry out, and then the other would answer. It's, it's, the example I want to give you is in uh, Psalms 136. In Psalms 136, we see antiphonal praise, and it's written to where verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then the congregation, his Lord, uh, his mercy endures forever. And we go back and forth. Now, now that was kind of quiet, so let's try it again, because you know, Kelly and Gary, I think, were the only ones that caught on quick. Good job. So, you say, for his mercy endures forever. So, oh God, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Okay, now act like you're in heaven. Oh, give thanks to God, to the God of gods. His mercy 
Yeah, okay, so you're, now you're getting close. But see, the doorpost back there didn't shake. That's what the Bible says. This isn't my idea. This isn't my blueprints. We're just simply looking into what's going on in heaven right now around God. There are beings created to worship him in heaven right now. And they're crying out, holy, holy is the Lord. And the angels would cry out, and we're going to see in a second how hundreds of millions of them. Can you imagine the sound? Crying back and forth as loud as you possibly can. The earth-shaking sound that that would be. Wow. Psalms 5.11 says this, but let all those who rejoice and put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. We also see in 1 Thessalonians that the Lord himself will shout. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead of Christ will rise first. So shouting is going on in heaven, guys. And you might say, you know, what is it about shouting? Because that can have a negative connotation. But shouting, God wants us to shout because it brings an, the innermost expression of joy out. And I'm telling you, God wants that all of you inside to come out. He wants you to express to him all you've got. And that's part, do you have to shout? I'm not, and I'm not, don't get legalistic. I mean, you don't have to shout every time, every second, every day. But it sh- and it shouldn't be about, hey, I've been told to shout, now I'm going to shout. Remember, uh, worship is a, is a response to God. So any t- anything we talk about should be a response to God's goodness. So shouting should always be done out of a response for God's goodness, not because you think, oh, I need to shout so that I can properly worship him. Are you with me? So it's more of the heartbeat of that. But that's what's going on in heaven, and that's what we're seeing through this example. It's shaking. The doorposts shake, and they're crying back and forth and worshiping God, singing out. Now let's look at another place in heaven we see in, in Revelations 4. Kind of a long text, but I, I wanted to get, get you a, a lot of this scripture to get you a picture of what's, what's going on. So Revelations 4, verse 1, and I'm going to read it, and uh, let's take a look about what we can see about this blueprint. So after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me. Wow saying, come up here and I will show you the things that must take place after this. Immediately, I was in the spirit, John says, and behold, a throne set in heaven. One sat on the throne and he who sat there was like Jasper and Sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne. You can, if you want to close your eyes and just picture that. I saw the throne and he who was sitting on the throne and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightning and thunder and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the Lord, which are the seven spirits of God. Verse 6, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. 
The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Verse 9, when the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Chapter five, verse one, it continues. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Verse 8. Now when he had taken up the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue, the people and nations, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea, and all them that are there, I heard saying, blessings and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down again and worship him who lives forever and ever. Good picture, isn't it? That's what's going on in heaven right now. I know I've heard people say, well, I just worship God quietly in my heart. I don't need to say anything out. I want to say holiness, and it's in your notes, holiness does not equal quietness. A lot of us, are there good times for quietness? For sure. Are there good times to be still? Absolutely. Be still and listen. That's part, yes, part of worship. But sometimes we connect holiness or being godly with being quiet and reserved and we had to come in and not make any noise. Come on, I, I mean, I grew up in church where, hey, don't you go. 
there was a good respect for the church, but it turned into this where you, you assimilated holiness with the way you couldn't move and you couldn't get loud. And I remember the organ lady, holiness for her, her bun, she wore her hair in a bun, and it was so tight, her eyes crossed. But that was, but that was holiness. You had to have it in a bun super tight. You had to, that was what they related, and that's not what holiness is. Holiness is being set apart for a specific service, a task. And we're all holy in God because we have been set aside for a specific purpose. And holiness is not about that. Holiness is a, This holiness is what you just saw and heard. That's what's happening in heaven. I mean, that's worship, guys. When it says the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, that's actually hundreds of millions. That's millions and just imagine how loud. Has anyone ever been in a stadium? Anyone been to like Promise Keepers or in a stadium where you just heard people worshiping like 10,000? If you've been there, you kind of, you have a little tiny glimpse of what's going on in heaven. And why do I say all this? I say all this because I want you to see what the biblical blueprints of worship look like. That's our standard. That's our first rafter, guys. That's the rafter we measure off of. That's the rafter we're going to make all of our others and measure from there, not from the previous one. Because I'm telling you what, whenever you see God's truth and you learn something new of God, the the Bible says that Satan comes and tries to steal that seed. He tries to take it away right away and diminish it and get rid of it. Whenever you get freedom, whenever you learn something new, or whenever you have an experience with God, which is awesome, the enemy will come and say, oh, that wasn't real. That's not for you. And because our natural default in our flesh is to always to go back to what makes our flesh feel good. And our flesh needs to be told to put on the garment. Our flesh needs to be instructed by the Spirit to do that. Babe, would you join me up here real quick? She's like, you didn't tell me about this. You don't have to do anything. So just stand right there. Just look beautiful, which is very easy for you. So I want to I describe to you how we communicate and approach worship and why our body is used in this process, right? So my spirit, man, because this body you see is just a shell, it's part of who I am, but the, it's, it's, it is the real me, but it's not the real me. The real me is my spirit. I'm, a, I am, I'm born of God. I have a, his spirit living in me. But my body is intricately woven with that, so this is me. But my heart, my spirit, loves this woman, okay? And, and I, I want her to know that. So my spirit, man, goes, hey, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go give her a flower, or you're going to do a birthday thing for her, or you're going to clean the kitchen, because I know one of her love gifts is that, when, right? If the kitchen's clean and I did, did the dishes up, doesn't that make you happy? Right? So I communicate love, starts in my heart, and I say, body, you're going to communicate this, and you're going to express your love to this being through your body. So you're going to sweep the floor, you're going to buy her stuff, you're going to, I'm going to speak things to her, I'm going to shout, I love Jen! So I'm going to express from my spirit through my body and express to her in a, in a form of a, of, a, of a worship. Now, I know that's weird, but it's a worship form because, remember, worship is, I want to be close. I want to cl- love her. 
right? So that's, worship is in that, and God wants you to be intimately close to him this way. Are you with me? Are you seeing? Okay, you can see. In the same way, in the same way, you've got to have your spirit man tell your flesh, we're going to love God, we're going to express to the Father how much we love him, and then God showed us how to do that. How to express with our physical bodies, whether it's jumping or dancing or shouting or lifting our hands in worship or bowing before the Lord or shouting with our whole voice or singing a new song. Playing instruments, yes. Guitars, drums, every, every expression you can think of, God has put it in there and he's showing us how we can express ourselves and our love for him by our spirit man telling our body, hey, get busy, you're doing this for that person because I love them. And to me, that's a simple form to understand why and how our bodies are involved in worship, why we lift our hands. Does that make sense? I hope that helps someone get there, help me kind of thinking of that the other day. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But you know what worship really depends on? Worship, worship in a love, um, worship in the sense of a love for my wife depends on my heart and how much I love and what God's done in our lives and how he brought us together. The same way with the creator, your worship of him reflects your understanding of what he's done for you. The further and the deeper you grasp what you've been saved from, to the same degree you will worship him. Think about that. It depends on how you see yourself and what you see yourself saved from. Listen to what says Jesus said in Luke. Luke 7 and 41 says this. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, the rich, now uh, which one of them uh, will, he lo- will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one that canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman who had been weeping at his feet, kissing his feet, pouring expensive perfume on his feet, he turned to the woman and said, do you see this woman? Talking to Peter, but looking at the woman, I entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed me, my feet, with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Jesus wasn't saying that the other people in the room didn't sin as much as the lady did because she was a known sinner, right? What he was saying is that you guys have sinned just as much as her, but she recognizes the fact that she's a sinner and now she loves a lot because she knows to the degree that she's been forgiven. I challenge you today that your worship is a reflection of your ability to understand what you've been forgiven of, what you've been saved out of, what God has done by translating you into a new kingdom and translating you out of the kingdom of darkness. Because until you get saved, until you give your heart to Jesus, you are a citizen of the kingdom of hell. 
We are all born into sin, guys. We are all all born as a citizen of hell. And unless we become born again, we remain a citizen of hell. But God has translated us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son and given us freedom and liberties like you never can understand. And our worship should reflect that. Our heart towards him, how we approach God, should be a reflection of how much we've been saved from. And I... this is going to be hard. If, you, if it's hard for you to express yourself in worship to God by the things that God has shown in his word to do, then here's a, a, a way you can kind of correct that. A, maybe you need to sit and meditate on what you've really been saved from. But you may, that may still be hard for you to worship. Knowing what God saved you from, it still may be hard for you to express in the worship things that God has said. Then you need to fight the fear of man, okay? Because that's going to be the other thing that's going to hold you back from expressing yourself is because you're afraid of how you look in other people's eyes. You're afraid of what people are going to say or think about you by what you do. Or you're afraid of people will make fun of you when you dance or shout or do something. So those things, so I want you to, in your heart right now, and I don't know where you're at, and I'm not condemning anyone this, I'm trying to coach you into a fuller expression of worship, but I want you to know that if, you, if it's hard for you to express yourself, if, if you've never lifted your hands like this, I want you to check yourself and go, God, you've saved me from a lot. You're worth it. And, and as you know, as you meditate on what God's done for you, this should be no big deal. This should be easy. A sign of surrender. We're going to look into the Hebrew word. Yeah, this is a yada. Yad. Yah, hands. Ah, towards God. Yad, to throw hands. Yada. That is worship like this. And there's a whole thing, and we'll get into that. But if you can't do this, I want to check your heart. I want you to check your heart and go, Okay, am I just afraid of what people think? Or do I really understand the depths of what God saved me from? Because that's where it lies. Hey, guys, when I first lifted that, I was scareder than scared, man. I was, I was in front of all my peers. I was a young man, 16 years old. I did not want to do it, and I was scared. I did not. I was shaking scared. But God came to me and gave me that really ultimatum for me. Do you love me? Am I, am I your Lord? Then worship me with everything you got. And he didn't do it because he wanted me to do it. He, he, he wanted me to do it so I would be free. Oh, and I tell you what, man, got free after that. Got free from the fear of man, the fear of what people think about me. And I'm telling you, our church, the rivers, everyone in this room, we all need to get free together from what other people think about us. Who do we care? The praise of man or the praise of God? right? Okay, so in closing, I want to look at the tabernacles real quick, and we're not going to get too deep, but we're talking about uh, a response to God. So true worship, in your notes, there is a response to the realization of what God has done for you. True worship is a response to the realization of what God has done for you. So we've seen heaven. We've seen it's been loud, joyful, emotionally expressive, enthusiastic, exciting, thundering, And that's our model. And so now that we've looked at these blueprints, let's look at the tabernacle of Moses really quickly. We could spend, the tabernacle, there's tons of books on it. 
But the tabernacle of Moses, as you know, and most of you do know this, so it's going to be a review. But if you don't know, the tabernacle of Moses was based on a lot of rules, regulations, sacrifices, washings, strict rules. One person got to go into the actually where the ark was, where the presence was, once a year. And a ton of animals died and a ton of washings and all, I mean, immaculate stuff. All has meaning and is very rich and awesome. But the point of the tabernacle of Moses is, is that their approach to God was through sacrifice and laws and rules and regulations to get to the presence of God, okay? I mean, we're talking tons of them, okay? And so that article, God was setting up what it meant to get there, that it, that it would need blood, that blood was the way, and it was a foreshadowing of Christ, and there's a whole bunch there, but what I want you to get out of the tabernacle of Moses is that it was, there wasn't any there wasn't a lot of joy in that process. It was a lot of heavy rules and following, and, and people were scared. Like, there was fear because if you didn't do it right, you'd die. If you didn't do it in the right order and take the fat around the lobe of the kidney and this and have the meat, I mean, they did all kinds of rules, and man, people were like, man, I better remember. I when I read through it, I'm like, how do you remember all this stuff? And so there was, there was that law that the law is good, but the point of the whole law and the point of the whole tabernacle is that this was un, no one could do this perfectly. You couldn't. And so the law was good there to, to show us our need for Christ. Now, the tabernacle of David, the approach changed. And what's cool about the tabernacle of David is that he set it up in a tent that was open on all sides. And when he brought the, and we're going to read about it, but when he brought the tabernacle or the ark back to the city of David, he set it in a tent, and there's some cool things that happened in this process. And I want to read through, I know I'm going to read fast on these, but I want you to just kind of hear these about what the tabernacle of David and how it transformed from this legalistic way of approaching God, rules and regulations, to a more freedom way of bringing a sacrifice of praise and, and a, an excitement about being in God's presence. So David's tabernacle pointed us to a new covenant filled with grace and faith. The tabernacle of David was a picture of what Jesus was going to do when he came and died on the cross and gave us a new picture of that. So that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do in the midst and in the time of this legalistic law setting, which is really awesome. Now remember, David was also a type of Christ, and a picture of, of Christ, too, and the lineage. He's the son of David. Uh, another thing, another principle, too, is David's tabernacle pointed us to a new church order where all believers could be kings and priests. David demonstrated this as he did things that only the priest should do. He was a king and a priest, another picture of Christ. And that we now are a royal priesthood, right? We're sons and daughters of the king. Amen. All right, good stuff. So David, um, number three, David's tabernacle, after his dedication, shifted from animal sacrifice to the sacrifices of joy, thanksgiving, and praise. So in his thing, if you read through, and you know this, Gary, how many, how many singers and stuff did David appoint? 
a ton. I don't even remember the exact number. But it was all, I mean, he appointed hundreds of singers, dancers. There was constant, continual worship before in the, in the presence of God. And David brought that in. So it was a shifting from the animal sacrifice, which is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do, who was the Lamb of God in the final sacrifice. And now we would shift into at Christ's coming, this more of a thanksgiving and praise. That's why there's not a whole lot of teaching in the New Testament about forms and, and expressions of worship. Because we're given this in David. David shows us the Davidical type of praise is the expression that we have in the New Testament. Okay, That's the picture because this is a picture of what Jesus was going to do. But it was back in his day. Uh, uh, number four, David's tabernacle became a habitation of the ark's presence until the temple was completed. So now this is a cool picture. Because the, t- the, the ark wasn't in the former temple. It was in David's tent. And it was in that tent until it got to where? Solomon's temple that his son built, remember? So Solomon built the temple, and the temple was, it's a picture of God's presence being in us through Christ. We are, we, God lives in us. We are the temple, right? We're the temple or the tent, the, the, the temporary dwelling of God until when? The temple of Jerusalem, Revelations, comes down and is set upon earth, remember? 1,600 miles wide, 1,600 miles long, 1,600 miles high is going to come down from heaven, the new Jerusalem, and then God will dwell in that temple and Jesus will rule and reign on the throne of David. The throne of David will rule forever and Christ is going to come back and do that. So that's a picture of us being this temporary. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We're living, we're tense, but we're all waiting until the final day when Jesus comes back. Did you know Jesus is coming back? Do you know Jesus is returning to this earth for his kids? Guys, you and me, that should be the excitement of the church, that Jesus is coming back for us, guys. And it could be any day. Any day he could come back, guys. It's getting near to the end. You better be ready. You better be ready. And we are that tent, that holding place. And that was a picture of what David did. David's tabernacle had the Ark of the Covenant and was foretold of someone who would come and sit on his throne forever. So another picture of David's son ruling and reigning in Christ. A couple more real quick ones. Uh, David, David's tabernacle didn't uh, have a veil, so there was access. So remember, the original temple had the veil, and no one could get through that, and only the priest once, he had stuff tied, he had a rope tied on his foot, just in case he died, right? Bells on the bottom, so the, oh, no more ringing, he must have done something wrong. Let's pull him out. <laughs> but the tabernacle of David, there was no veil. You walked up to the tent, and you could go into his presence anytime you wanted, A perfect picture of us today that we can boldly, remember our verses in the beginning, boldly go into his throne with confidence and seek him and love on him and worship him, uh, praying, intercede with him. Uh, Another one, David's tabernacle um, had singers, musical instruments, songs of praise within the confines of the tent. So this this shows us the new order of what, through Christ, when he came, uh, brought in this new possession of, okay, this is going to be temple worship now. This is going to be how we're going to do it. And, and David uh, showed us all that. And there's a lot we could get into, but I know we're getting, we're getting close. Sorry. You guys, enjoy, you guys want me to stop and continue this next week or finish? You good? Okay. So one more. David's tabernacle opened the door for the coming of all nations. Whether you were circumcised or uncircumcised, you could access this tabernacle. The old tabernacle was Jews only. You couldn't go unless you're Jew. But David showed in a picture of Christ where Jesus would bring in all nations. Everyone in the whole earth could now come and be in the presence of the Most High God and be adopted as sons into his family. 
Isn't that good news? You can be grafted in, the Bible tells us in Romans, grafted in to the root of, 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 the, of Israel. So that's exciting. So that the new, that the approach of God changes from this legalistic, having to earn it everything, doing everything perfect, all performance-based, to this freedom where it was more about your expressing your love and gratitude for who he is and what he's done for you versus having to follow rules. So we see this approach, and I want you to put that in your hearts today, guys, because the Davidical type of praise is still available today. It's, still the, it's been fulfilled in Christ, and now we're actually walking in that tabernacle of David worship where we can come to him freely at any time and worship with all of our hearts. And so the things that David talks, now when you read Psalms, you'll know that this is for today. This is stuff we get to do today and how we approach God. So I want to end with a story, one of my favorite stories about David. And you'll learn a lot of stuff from this. I I get this. Uh, Every time I read it, there's something jumps out. But David, let's look at his approach to Jesus and the ark. So this is King David, a man after God's own heart, a king, and his approach to God's uh, very presence. So the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the, the presence, was in a uh, different place. And it, they, David said, hey, I'm going to go get this, this presence back. We need God's presence in, in our kingdom. So he went over. He tried to get it. He brought it back. He, did it. he didn't totally do it the exact way God told him to do it. So remember the guy reached out and died? David's like, oh, no, I screwed up. Go put the Ark at Obadiah's house. And he left. And he got, man, uh, God, what happened? This guy died. You know, it's a tragic thing. And then this guy, Odub-Edom, got blessed. He was blessed. And it got word got around him. Hey, so-and-so's getting blessed because he's got the ark there. And David's like, okay, wait a minute. (laughs) We got to get the ark to the city of David so that we can have our nation be blessed. And so we pick that up in 1 Samuel 6, 1 Samuel 6, 12. And we're going to see this process of how David brought back the ark into into, into his uh, city. So it was told King David that the Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six. Granted, they're probably shorter than me, so it may have been a little different. Six steps, they sacrificed. Every six steps. Wow. Every six. Do you, do you see the honor, the respect, the fear of Almighty God? That every six steps, they stopped and said, it's through blood that we can have the presence of God. It's through a sacrifice of the Lamb that we can access and have this great God be our God. And so every six steps, they stopped and sacrificed ox and the fat animals. And David, verse 14, David sat there like a lump on the log and just sat there picking his nose, all his, with all his, no. I, I, David danced before the Lord halfway. David danced before the Lord three quarters, right, D? <laughs> he danced with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, which is significant for a king to say, look, I'm taking off my, my garments of, of king, kingship, and it's just me, which is inviting everyone else to say, hey, we're all going to be kings and priests through Christ. 
So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn, the shofar. Look at this. So as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw that King David was leaping and dancing before the Lord. And underline this, she despised him in his heart. She despised what he was doing in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, and inside the tent of David it had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the, the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He distributed among them all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake raisin to each one, giving out gifts just like Jesus did, right? And the Holy Spirit came, give out gifts to everybody. And meat, to give a portion of meat, well, that was a big deal back then. <laughs> that was a, a huge gift, but illustrating how God gives gifts to man. Then all the people departed to each to his house. Verse 20, David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, <laughs> that's his wife. It should have said Michael, David's wife, <laughs> but they recorded it. I just thought it was funny. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, Oh, how the king of Israel honored himself today. Sarcasm. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, his female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She's got some issues. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. I will be abased in your eyes. Jesus said, do you want the praise of God or the praise of man? He said, I'll be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you've spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. Verse 23, highlight this, underline it, remember it. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. When you despise shameless, free, open praise, you will remain fruitless in your Christian walk. When you start, look, if you look at the expressions of worship and that angers you, frustrates you, does whatever it, it's doing, I want you to think of Michael. She did the same thing. She was the person in church that, oh, look at him dancing. What an idiot. Look at him being a fool. What did David said? I'm going to be a bigger fool than this. If you thought that was foolish, I'm going to worship God even more. You're going to think I'm even more a fool. I'd rather be more of a fool in front of God than you, right? Or you than God. So when you despise that praise, it produces unfruitfulness in your Christian walk. And think of this, church. God has commanded us, not because he wants us to follow a rule, but he designed. Do you know that God doesn't need your worship? God doesn't need your praise. God didn't make all this up so we could get a bunch of people lifting their hands towards him. God doesn't need it. He's sufficient in and of himself. He's the creator Life is from him. He is life. He doesn't need one little thing from us. It doesn't do nothing for him. Father heart, it does something for him. But it, he doesn't need that. He didn't create it for himself. He created the whole process of worship for us. It's his way to say, look, 
You can express your love to me by doing this. This will help you get into my presence. This will help you become more like me. This will help you. It'll help raise the dross to the top so that you can get rid of the stuff so you can be made a vessel of honor. That's what worship's about, guys. It's about being ready for the master's use. And so my encouragement to you today is that over the next several weeks, as we talk about different things, that you challenge yourself to not be afraid of what men think, right? Don't want to be afraid of what man thinks, and that you realize what you've been saved from. You and me have been saved from eternal separation from God. And if that isn't big enough in your mind, get in the scripture and make it big enough, because it is a big deal. It's the biggest deal on the whole existence of uh, the human race. And so we've got to understand what we've been saved out of. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, I know that I am so limited in the way that I communicate. But God, by your spirit, you're the great communicator. And so Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you take these scriptures and the words today and help them. Help them get in our hearts. Help them sink deep into our minds. Lord, help us get a hold of who you are. Holy Spirit, would you help us realize what you've saved us from? I pray right now in the name of Jesus that, Lord, you would just help us see in our minds, our our mind's eye right now of what you've saved us from. Help us come to a realization of that. Help it become real to us. And Lord, secondly, I pray that you'd help us overcome the fear of man, the fear of what other people think, the fear of being ridiculed and despised. So Father, I pray by the Holy Spirit that you would quicken these words in our heart, help those seeds to go deep in good soil, God. Help it produce fruit, God. We want to be a church that worships you with everything we have. We don't want to be afraid, but we want to experience the fullness of God. And we know the only way we can experience your fullness, God, is doing it your way. And so, God, we choose to do your way because your way is always the best. It always comes back full. So, Father, help us. We cry out right now in our chairs where we're sitting in our hearts. We just, we cry out for more of you, God. Help us break free, Lord, from these things of this earth that keep us bound and keep us from experiencing the fullness of your presence. And, God, with every head bowed and eye closed, if you're, a, if you're here today and you, you'd say, Pastor Doug, I don't really understand this worship thing, but I, you might think also that you don't know Jesus. And there is no, there's no understanding of worship until you know the person of Jesus. There's no expression until you meet the one who made expressions and created you. And the only way to enter into God's presence is through the Lamb, through Jesus, the one who died on the cross for you. And if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and make him Lord, and you want to do that today, I want to pray with you. And if that's you, I'm going to ask right now that you raise your hand up and say, yeah, Pastor Doug, I want to, I want to accept Christ into my life. I want to meet the maker of the universe. I want to begin to praise God in a whole new way. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Anyone here today, always going to give an opportunity for those to, that aren't saved to become saved, to be translated into the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. Is there anyone here today? Raise your hand up if that's you. You're not sure you're going to heaven. We talked about earlier that Jesus is coming back. He is coming back, and we need to be ready. You need to be ready. Your friends need to be ready. So if that's you today, and you're not sure, and you want to be sure, let's make that. If you don't know where where you'll be a thousand years from today, 
You can be sure of that right now. You can be sure of that right now. Anyone here today want to make that commitment to Christ? Anybody? Oh, Father, you see our hearts, God. And we cry out for more of you, God. We ask you to take our lives. Lord, let us lift and be a living sacrifice of praise to you. Lord, we want to honor you in this way, and we ask for your help this week, God. Would you quicken us? Would you take what was spoken today and give us even more by your Spirit that applies directly to each of our hearts, that we may become back prepared and ready to offer you everything we are? We love you for that, God, and we ask, and we know that we can't do it without you, so we thank you for helping us, and we pray this in the mighty, awesome, powerful name of Jesus, and everybody said amen. Amen. Amen.